Hey, Retention Pros. I'm Noah Rahim Zadeh and I lead partnerships here at Malomo. I'm super pumped to continue to chat with ecosystem experts alongside Mariah, who you all already know and love. Say hi, Mariah. Hey, everyone. As you probably know, Retention Chronicles likes to bring in some of the best retention-focused brands in the Shopify ecosystem. But we don't just feature brands. We also feature some great thought leaders in the Shopify ecosystem that serve brands. And because we always want these conversations to be fun, you'll hear us talk with our guests about what they're excited about and what's helped them get to where they are today. We hope you'll stick around to learn and laugh with us. Retention Chronicles is sponsored by Malomo, a shipment and order tracking platform improving the post-purchase experience. Be sure to subscribe and check out all of our episodes at gomalomo.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to another ecosystem episode of Retention Chronicles. Uh, super excited for our guest today, Drew Himmel. Am I saying that right, Himmel? Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Probably should have asked that before. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Drew uh, is founder and CEO of uh, the PCR agency, which is now Fireside. So going through a rebrand right now. Uh, which is an, an just an awesome time to to have him on and talk through um, all of the strategies and thoughts behind that and what the rebrand will mean not just for his current customers but for uh, the new customers, the new clients that he's serving moving forward. Um, but before we get into that, Drew would love to uh, start by how we always do, a uh, couple of things that you're excited about in your personal life, and then we'll get to get to talk and shop. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, personal life. So I am a very amateur little biohacker. I have uh, a cold plunge, infrared sauna, red light therapy. Oh. I, I, I experiment with everything. Oh. Um, and over the last month I did an elimination diet. So I cut out caffeine, alcohol, sugar, beef. I was just eating essentially like fruits, vegetables, chicken, and fish. Uh, and so very hard. You realize like how addicted you are to all these, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, whether it be caffeine or alcohol <laughs> or sugar. Um, I felt miserable for the first week. And then after that felt unbelievable. And I think that, uh, coupled with, uh, getting back into yoga, um, mm. I'm doing 6am yoga in the morning and yeah, I just feel like a million bucks. Like I just am riding high, uh, for, for sure. So getting through some of the hard parts, but you know, the, the discipline and, and, and everything else has been pretty amazing. So, um, yeah, that's probably what I'm most excited about over the last couple of weeks. Boring and in some ways, but it's uh, not at all. <laughs> I was just going to say, we're going to have to like we're not going to get to talk and shop for a second because I have so many <laughs> questions. Uh, first and foremost, you said it's been about a month, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. What's, what was the hardest thing to cut out? Coffee. Yeah. I I think uh, about six days in, my girlfriend and I looked at each other. We're like, we don't know if we can do this anymore. <laughs> it's just like, I mean, we felt if you've ever had like a big night out and you're sitting on your couch the next day, not wanting to move, we had a few days of that without just felt pretty miserable uh, wow. when your body's like going through this reset. So um, yeah, I think coffee was by far and away the the hardest, but now um, we've reintroduced coffee. So you, you like slowly reintroduce different foods and see how your stomach reacts and things like that to find food sensitivity. 
and I'm like, I have a cup of coffee and I'm, that's why I'm, I'm on one cup of coffee right now. And I'm like wired. Uh, yeah. so, <laughs> Perfect <where> I, energy. <laughs> I was drinking like three a day and you just, you know, overstimulated and, and things like that. So yeah, coffee was definitely the hardest. So. Um, wow. Okay. That's, that's very interesting. Um, I, I didn't drink coffee for like a really long time. And then um, it, I don't know. I don't know what, what brought it back, but I, I think out of necessity, I needed <laughs> I needed more energized hours in my day. Um, <laughs> I think of all, like, I love meat. So that would be uh, everything that you said. I I can't imagine going a month without booze, especially in like our line of work where we're always <laughs> happy hours and, you know, the work gatherings are oftentimes as big of a party as I'm having with my friends on a weekend. So yeah, yeah. I would imagine that was hard. Did you do any, did you do any like conference work conferences or happy hours that, that, that you had to like really be on your best behavior to, to avoid it? No, I, I, well, I, I did not this time, but I always, so this was like sober October kind of coordinated with that too, which was nice, but I usually do one or two months a year. And last year I did, or this year I did March as well. And I was at Expo West, which is for, you know, the big food and beverage. So I couldn't really sample any of the products and I was going to all the happy hours and events and, and yeah, I stayed strong. I didn't drink, um, uh, which was challenging. It's, it's a discipline and self-control. Uh, I like to push myself and see if I can do it. Cause I, I do love you know, glass of red wine or a Negroni right. or anything yeah. else, but, um, it's, 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 you know, you just want to see if you can. Uh, and then you, once you get in a little bit of a rhythm, I also have this, uh, whoop, uh, yeah. it's, it's just been amazing to see. It's like, I think 29 of the last 31 days have had green recovery where like, you know, uh, that's your heart rate availability, just your overall health and how much sleep my sleep quality is like through the roof. Um, so all those things you realize like alcohol or different things, the, the impact that it has. So my friends love the watch. Like they're like, Oh my God, look at my recovery. I'm like, oh, why do you want to know? <laughs> like, yeah. There's, oh. there's, there's some like public shaming or like yeah. private shaming where, but, uh, but it's, it's honestly, we, we give everybody on in our company at Fireside, a, a free uh, whoop and a subscription wow. and stuff like that. Cause, but it, it's also interesting too for some of my staff is like, I don't know if I want you knowing that I've had right. a <laughs> <laughs> on like a Tuesday. I was like, fair, fair. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. yeah. That's a cool I, application of it though. Like everyone at work kind of be like, Oh, how are you like recovering? How are you stressed? All that. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I love talking about it. I, you, we can do a whole podcast on it. I, um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, I want to try and give the team the same thing because I know the impact that it has on me. So, mm. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I, uh, same thing, Mariah, like every one of my friends who has a whoop is like the most diehard fan, the biggest advocate. Yeah. Um, I, I hope that they have a referral program because if they don't, they're missing <laughs> a job opportunity. Um, yeah. And then I'm also curious last, last thing, and then we can move on. I do, I do yoga as well. Um, do you notice like a, a difference in that? Cause I can definitely notice like if I do yoga on a Sunday after a night out, like I am nowhere near as, as coordinated, as balanced as like, um, able to like be in the moment. And so mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you've noticed a, a difference there as well. 
No, I mean, I, so I played basketball all my life and, you know, it's just really hard on your body and I'm 38 and my knees are starting to like break down. I'm getting like elbow issues. And I, I finally went to a PT, like physical therapist. And he's like, well, you can foam roll every single day for like 30 minutes. I'm like, man, I, I gotta be honest with you. The likelihood of me doing that is not very high. He's <laughs> like, well, uh, go to yoga three to five days a week. And so I'm, you know, I'm a month in elbow pain because I'm like my, my chest and shoulders are more open and flexible. The knee pain is slowly starting to go away. I'm like, I don't want to be 50, 60 years old and not able to move. And so, yeah, uh, that's been, and then, yeah, if I have, luckily I haven't had a rough night the night because I've been doing the diet along with it, but it would be interesting to see with like alcohol impact on some of the other items too, but yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, but yeah, I love yoga for all the same reasons. And actually I, I play basketball as well. Um, oh, you do? Oh, cool. Yeah. I played, um, I played Tuesday night, went to yoga Wednesday and like the difference there, the recovery time is so much better. Cause like, even for me, um, I used to play like four or five times a week. Now yeah. I can only play like twice because yeah. I, I have recovery time that, that needs to happen. But, um, yeah. Yeah, my, my, my brother tore his Achilles and I saw that I haven't, oh. I, I haven't played oh, since, uh, uh, but I'm, I'm actually going out to LA next week. Cause I, I have a brother who's 17 years younger than me. So he's playing in college. So mm. the whole family's going oh, cool. out to, he's got his season opener next week. So, mm. uh, going to check that out. So, Very it'll cool. be, but I used to be able to beat him one-on-one, but now I'm, <laughs> I'm too old and slow. So. <laughs> this yeah. is making me want to do yoga. I've like gone in and out of phases with it. Um, but I was a rower. And so like uh, yeah. the recovery period, definitely necessary, but like the phone rolling, you're just saying like 30 minutes phone rolling. I was like, mm, it's so good I, for you, but there's nothing, so there's nothing. I, I hate it. I literally yeah. hate it. And so yoga, like it's, it's the flexibility, the mobility, but actually the core strength and, um, the mental aspect. I mean, and my girlfriend forever was like, let's go, let's go. And I'm like, nope. And then I, she's (laughs) like, so a physical therapist had to tell you to do yoga and now you're going, I'm like, yeah, (laughs) ironic, huh? (laughs) Certain things, uh, uh, you know, a doctor might be better suited or, (laughs) you know, uh, than, than the girlfriend. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. but yeah, we, I go to the hot room in Indianapolis, Mariah, and mm-hmm. it's, I've it's, been, hot, yeah. it's, heated, it's, it's uh, great. It's they so have nice. like hit classes. They have vinyasa, they have regular yoga. Um, I'm in there all the time. So. Yeah. My, mine's heated too. And they have, they heat the room and then they have these fans and I always like get right next to the fan and point it right <laughs> at me. Like, <laughs> I'm like, if I'm going to be in here, I want to get a sweat too. So right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so the fans make it hotter or cool it's, you it's like a, it's a, like almost a convection fan. So it yeah. just okay, yeah, yeah. pumps cool. out a lot of heat. I'm the same way. Fan. That's why I asked. Yeah. Like if I'm, yeah. if I'm going to be hot and anticipating being hot, I want like the full experience. Oh yeah. Also I, I like, know. there's also like the factor of if I'm going to spend an hour here, I want it to be like as effective as yeah. possible. Oh, yeah. So let's yeah. make the most of this time. Right. It's, it's, <laughs> exactly. it's terrible for those around me because I just have a puddle of sweat yeah. like, oh, totally. all, around, all around me. Uh, like sometimes we have to do a certain pose. My leg has to slide off the mat. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> it's, just, 
not good for anybody. <laughs> it's <laughs> acceptance, you know. Yeah. Oh, I know that's that, funny. I know that feeling well. Um, awesome. That was one of the best openers I think we've had. <laughs> yes. A lot of connections there. Um, okay, let's let's shift focus. Um, so, like I said at the top, you recently rebranded. I'd love to start um, going back, even even if it's cool with you, Drew, beyond uh, before PCR. Um, and, and chat a little bit, learn a little bit about your career path up until that point. Uh, and then we can sort of get into the, uh, the rebrand and dive a little bit deeper there. Yeah, no, absolutely. There, there's not much in the career path before I had a, uh, internship with the Jacksonville Jaguars, the, unfortunately my hometown NFL team that has been pretty much terrible for 20 years. Um, Meet us, I, <laughs> the Colts every time we come there. So <laughs> That's true. Um, So a brief stint there that I went into finance for all of like six months and then uh, just realized I was kind of like unemployable. So I decided to uh, start my own business, Um, taught myself web design when I was 23, read SEO for dummies and started an agency. I mean, to call it an agency, it was me working out of my living room couch selling you know, air conditioning contractors and plumbers, like $300 a month to get them on, mm. you know, Google and drive leads uh, back in 07, 08. So like, uh, it was pretty challenging because I started the business probably at the worst time. Um, but <laughs> maybe it was the best time too, just because it was really hard. Um, and then, yeah, that we were full service doing everything, SEO, PPC, social media, and it was a hundred percent jack of all trades, master of none. And I was miserable. Uh, I, I still remember to this day, a client called me on Christmas Eve and was like, if you don't show up to my office right now, I will sue you for all you're worth. And I was like, well, I'm not really worth all that much. That's so not <laughs> that big of a deal. But oh I gosh. had to drive in there and he proceeded to yell at me for an hour and a half. Um, and it was really hard. But after that, um, I was like, okay, I want to focus more on like the value that we provide and and what does that uh, look like versus keyword rankings or traffic. And it was really cool. We, we came across HubSpot, um, gosh, 11, 12 years ago. Uh, and I was like, this is it. They focus more on like the ROI of efforts and it's more of the owned ecosystem, like landing pages and lead nurturing. And so we went full throttle with HubSpot. We were their fastest partner to ever reach like platinum status. I think we were one of six out of 4,000 in their ecosystem. Um, I spoke at their conference a bunch of times and it was just a really important shift because instead of selling the air conditioning contractor to do SEO for 500 bucks, we're like, what is the impact of 20 new customers? If we can improve conversion from, you know, website traffic to sales and lead conversion from leads to customers. And when you start paying that, we, we, we upsold them to like 10, 15,000 a month. Cause they're like, Oh, if you can sell us two more air conditioning units sure. a month, like sign us up. So that was a huge shift for us. And it went really, really well. And then, um, you know, went from just a small local company to regional to national where, you know, we worked with some great accounts. We worked with uh, major league baseball. Uh, we worked with Lyft. We actually helped the, the Chargers moved from San Diego to LA. I, I moved wow. out to LA and helped with that. Um, wow. uh, worked with like Standing Rock, which was a, a really important campaign around like indigenous rights. And um, so, you know, it, it, it was an important shift for us. And then about three years ago, 
we um, we were doing a lot of work in the digital space, obviously, and we had never really done much with e-commerce. We had a short stint with uh, Huckberry and 16 and 17, and uh, they were on Klaviyo. I couldn't even pronounce it. I didn't really know what it was. <laughs> um, we did some like basic op- optimizations for them. And, uh, but uh, Dan Gilbert, who owns Quicken Loans and Rocket Mortgage and the Cleveland Cavaliers, we worked with his private equity group and he owned an entity called Fathead, which um, yeah. you remember as a kid, they, um, so we did a full, like, almost like transformation for them where they were like unprofitable. They were on like a custom e-com. And that was like our first real foray into e-com where we got them on Shopify Plus, we got them on Klaviyo and did a complete turnaround. I mean, they were unprofitable, um, you know, I mean, they had full-time people just designing emails because they couldn't use templates. Like it was just crazy um, how antiquated it was. And we're like, maybe there's something here. And so we went, same thing. We made an important decision to go full throttle uh, into the e-com space. Um, And then right around that time, you know, COVID hit. And so we saw even like further mass adoption. And it just made sense because everything we focus on is ROI and value. And in the D2C space, like that's the easiest thing to be able to like track is, you know, how, how effective are your efforts across all these channels. And so, you know, within that, we've now completed 60 plus projects in a few years um, in that space. And yeah, it's, it's just further, you know, kind of enhancing our, you know, capability where, you know, really what we do at the end of the day is how do you drive uh, higher customer lifetime value and decrease the cost of acquiring those customers. So we do like UX, CRO, retention marketing, you know, SMS email, and then the app ecosystem, you know, there's like 6,000 Shopify apps that are out there. Um, we help, oh, no. yeah. <laughs> we, 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 we help the clients figure out which ones are best and consolidate that and, and streamline it to, you know, kind of optimize the customer experience um, to drive more value. So. That's awesome. I didn't realize the start uh, in the HubSpot in the HubSpot space. Um, So when you when you went down that path, were you mostly working with B two B brands then, or was it a a mix of both? It was a mix of both. Um, We took those air conditioning contractors and got them on HubSpot because they had like service industry kind of like technology that was pretty antiquated. So we we were able to customize. HubSpot to be a little bit more custom fit for what their business model was. Um, but then we did have a lot of, you know, B2B as well. Um, but even the chargers we had on HubSpot, um, uh, a lot of these other, you know, much larger brands too, like Home right. Depot, we, we put on HubSpot, one of their subsidiaries, not the main Home Depot. Um, so yeah, uh, it was, it was 50, 50. So we were, we had the strategy and the process and the framework. But yeah, we would have like a B2B client over here, a sports league over there. Um, you know, it's just, and so now we exclusively only focus on, um, you know, digital strategy for people trying to figure out their, you know, DC e-commerce, um, uh, you know, business model. And what, I know you talked about that a little bit and what I heard was like you, what attracted you to e-commerce, which is really interesting is like, I think the ability to properly attribute like value based on like inputs and outputs and, and um, yeah, properly attribute um, revenue and, and all of the other things that drive it. Um, is that right? And is there anything else that sort of made you think this is sort of the future of, um, of commerce and, and it's where I need to be? 
Yeah, I mean, I I think it was it was very much like fundamental where like, you know, to track, I mean, we even did stuff with like restaurant groups and everything else. It's just, it's very difficult to get the, the ROI. And so for us, it is always around like, what is the value of our efforts? Um, and so within e-com, everything is trackable. If anything, there's like too much data for these brands to feel <laughs> yeah. you know, make heads or tails of what's actually going on and, and what's effective and what's not. So that was really the main, I would say, catalyst. I did not know that, you know, we would face a global pandemic and all these other things that people were going to buy more online and right. things of that nature. Uh, uh, yeah, I would not give myself any credit towards that. <laughs> uh, um, and, but it, it was like, it just made a lot of sense in terms of like the fundamentals and, you know, the shift for us too was like SEO. It's like, Oh, six to nine months, you know, and hopefully we get you rankings increase or social media and you're dealing with like iOS updates um, around performance marketing. So we, we feel like, we kind of get the answers to the test where we could look at how much traffic you have, what's your existing conversion rate, how much revenue is coming from, you know, your ESP and email and SMS programs. What is your customer lifetime value? And then we could say, oh, we feel very confident. Engage us. We're going to make uh, this ROI positive for you, you know, very quickly. So, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, it's funny you said that the too much data thing. I was just talking to someone yesterday about a stat that I saw that was like, if you, I forget exactly what it was, I'll butcher, butcher it probably, but it was like, if you actually added up the attribution from all of your different tools, you'd, you'd be like six or seven times more, uh, bringing in six or seven times more revenue than you actually are. Um, so that that's, I totally agree. I think that we, it's something that we're focused on too, actually internally at Malomo is like figuring out how to a better attribute like Malomo attributable revenue. And I think that's a hot topic sort of across the board. Um, so I'd love to get your thoughts on that. And also, um, you, you know, when you started and you, you, put Fathead on Shopify and Clavio, And you also talked about how you sort of um, are a, a thought leader and a, you know, advisor for your merchants on what tools they should use uh, in the broader Shopify stack. Um, curious how you think about what tools uh, clients should use if you have like a preferred stack that you like to work with, or if you sort of take the approach of it's not a one size fits all thing some tools are better suited for, uh, some tools are great for, for client A and other tools would be great for client B. So I just threw a lot at you, but I think they're also <laughs> kind of like connected. So <laughs> the reason to bring them all together. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, to the latter question around the tech stack and app ecosystem, we, we a hundred percent have um, a, a point of view um, around like what's going to be best. Um, and we do factor in, you know, their business model um, ease of use, because we don't always say Clavio. We, we've actually onboarded a fair amount onto HubSpot still if they need a true CRM. We're, we're mm -hmm. platinum, platinum partners of both, but we did this big migration with a, um, he's an author, uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza and all around like mindfulness and meditation. And you know, he had events, he had digital merchandise, he had physical merchandise, he had a paid membership club, he had courses. It's very difficult to streamline that data strategy and like user journey just using Clavio. So we use Shopify within HubSpot um, to act as like the true CRM to be able to like manage all those inputs in a way that I think Clavio is working towards as like a true, like almost like CDP, but they're not quite there. Um, so 
you know, within that, we, we, we have that point of view. And then there is the, I'd say the tech stack typically does look like, you know, a, um, Shopify with Shopify plus, uh, you know, email and SMS. We, we do prefer, you know, kind of Clavio. We love, um, Elevar for, uh, Google analytics, like cleanup and like tag management, um, because we do so much with like conversion rate optimization site speed is a big topic and people just don't realize they could have like 60, 70 scripts from like Pinterest tag and this tag, like all these different tags. So Elevar does server-side tagging, which is just a fancy way to say like, it doesn't uh, unnecessarily slow down your site um, and helps you kind of manage that and turn it on and off. If you're not advertising on Pinterest, there's no need to have a Pinterest, uh, you know, kind of tag on there. Um, so they're great. They're, we, we have a great relationship with them. Um, uh, Akendo or Junup for reviews. Uh, we, 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 we love both of those just depending on, you know, the sophistication, if it's an earlier stage brand, Junup, I think does a, does a really good job. Um, and then, you know, Nosto for some of our like, um, more advanced clients that are looking at more personalization search spring for search. And then, yeah, I mean, I think for, for, you know, what, what you guys do. And that's how we originally got, you know, the relationship was, you know, with Mudwater, which is a, an incredible brand where, you know, Shane, I think is, is so driven by the customer experience and he wants to make sure every touch point is a opportunity to, you know, whether it's reintroduce the brand um, or, you know, put something else together. Uh, they've really done, you know, I think a, uh, uh, a great job. Um, and so with, with you guys, like when they had, um, you know, the, the issue, I think more than anything where, you know, it's what we looked at from a audit perspective is they were sending out like eight messages to the client, uh, to the customer before they even received the package. And so we mm -hmm. wanted to like streamline that because it was coming from some, so many different areas. And so with Clavio and Malomo integration, we were able to build more of like, instead of going to a, a crappy like UPS tracking page, we we're able to really utilize that as a, as an experience because it is, people are like, what is this? Is it actually mud or like, you know, and all these adaptogens and I'm used to my coffee. And so you could put, you know, videos on there, you could put recipes. Um, and it, it became one of their top performing flows was just people tracking, uh, you know, the shipping and the notifications. So I think, you know, that's going to become more and more important. I think you guys are spot on with like branded customer experience and taking for a while it was like, take the Shopify transactional. That's like just, you know, basic, you know, prompt, put those yeah, into yeah. Clavio. And now it's like, oh, you know, people check their shipping, tracking, fulfillment six, seven times. How do you build that into a branded experience as well? So all those various touch points. So I know it's a lot, but like those are, you know, I'd say like the core, you know, stack when we're looking at things, then every client's going to have some unique use cases where they want to run like, you know, um, you know, advanced like upsell personalization. Maybe it's a rebuy or wiser, yeah. uh, you know, things of that nature too. So. Yeah, no, really appreciate you running through that. I think a lot of times uh, we don't get like really in the weeds on specific tools. So that's really yeah. helpful, uh, not just to us, but obviously to the audience as well. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of those, a lot of those third-party apps as well, like we work really closely with. Um, and, you know, I think there's always the idea that you remain somewhat agnostic because a, a, a 
client might have a need that you, you know, you need to sort of fill in a, in a flash and it might not be the the typical preferred solution or the one that you integrate best with from our perspective, but we still need to be able that be able to serve that client. So while we certainly have like preferred partners, like it sounds like you do, we also are very agnostic and, and sort of an open platform to be able to accommodate whatever the rest of uh, our merchant stacks look like. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think you kind of have to, right? You got to be mm-hmm. transparent, agnostic, do what's best for the client. I mean, we, unfortunately, we we do have clients that are not on Shopify. So we have to work in BigCommerce and Magento and, you know, other tools as well. So, you know, we, we always provide the recommendations, but, you know, it, it's more challenging for our team because there's a lot of different technologies and nuance within that. But we we ultimately do want to do what's best for 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 the client. Right, exactly. Um I also love the mud water example for a very specific reason. I think a lot of times when um, merchants come to us these days, and this was this required like educating the market, um, they come to us like, "Oh, we can turn this, we can turn this cost center into a revenue channel," and that is a hundred percent true. But that's almost like the more sophisticated or advanced uh, value that the branded order tracking experience can bring. Mm-hmm. I think that in like just naturally, the first thing that brands should actually be thinking about in that is setting their customers up for success and educating them on what to expect when that package arrives yeah. so that they can get the most bang for their buck and get that, especially for first time buyers, yeah. making sure that they have a great experience with that first um, with that first purchase is extremely crucial in driving LTV and getting them to re- retain, uh, retaining them for the long-term. Um, we're doing a lot of research and, and writing and, and talking right now about the idea that like, the first purchase is actually absolutely crucial, but the second purchase is actually a ton more important in the sense that like no, almost no brands are first purchase profitable anymore. So if you don't drive that second purchase at that first experience is not fantastic. You risk literally losing money on all the, all, on all the inputs that you just put in, not yeah. just money, but time um, and resources on everything that you did to drive that person to your site and to get them to convert in the first place. So I love the Mudwater example that they're educating their customers on what the product is and how they, what they should expect when they get it and how to best utilize it. Uh, very similar use case with Caraway. Uh, Caraway like realized early on that a lot of their, uh, new, newly acquired customers were literally ruining the pans because they weren't caring for them properly. Oh, yeah. Um, and so their tracking page experience started by just being, here's what to expect when your awesome pans arrive, here's how to cook with them and here's how to care for them so that they can yeah. get the most longevity and use out of these um, not cheap, but well worth it, right? Uh, cooking, yeah. cooking utensils and items. So um, I absolutely love that case and uh, that, that, that use case um, and think that yeah, it should you bring up like two, I think really important points. One, you know, you, you want to get ahead of it. So we, we had a brand and we'll mention a few years ago when it was like at the height of COVID and shipping delays and everything else. And they kind of, they hid behind it. They didn't really um, mess it. And I think you then see the opposite of like a Nike at that time was like, look, you're, um, product is going to be delayed. Here's our best estimate, but we don't know. And here's why. And here's, you know, and it was so thorough. And and that was in the abandoned cart series. And like that, so they were negatively impacting conversion 
so that they could, because they knew the lifetime value, the customer lifetime value was so important to them that they were willing to sacrifice a little bit of that conversion. So they didn't have where, you know, the, the brand that we were working with, like hit behind it, they had to like triple their customer service staff because they weren't talking about it. So they're answering all these things around like shipping delays. And why is my product not here? Because they gave no information or indicator, you know, on the front end. So I think like, over communicating and and you know and and really making sure that you yeah the caraway example the mudwaters of you know the world that i think truly care about their customers they want to have that experience and and enhance it so they're looking in the in the long run and then i think the second part is is really why we focus on a lot of this is you know there's so many you know inputs and data like we've talked about where you know it's really hard where yeah the cost for acquiring customers is more expensive than it's ever been and I, I tell clients this, we help increase conversion. I'm like, I can increase your conversion guaranteed tomorrow. Just run a 50% off sale. And <laughs> yeah. But what is the impact of that going to yeah. have? And so we have to look at, we look at like 30 to 40 metrics that we feel like tell this story. And it's a lot to kind of come through, but conversion is not the only thing. And neither is like percentage of revenue or like CAC. Like, unfortunately, you have to look at contribution margin and you have to look at lifetime value and AOV and repeat purchase rate and all these other inputs to really be able to tell the story. And, and I get it. I like sympathize with brands. Like they're like, who is going to do this? I, I can't afford to hire a full-time data analyst just to make, you know, heads or tails of these things. So right. um, yeah, those are, I just, that that's what kind of came to mind as you were riffing on that. I, I think it's, you know, incredibly relevant for these brands to, to do both of those things, to be able to figure that out. A hundred percent. Um, Real quick question before we move on to the to the rebrand, because I definitely want to get into that a little bit. Um, are, are, do you use any tool to measure the the most important metrics um, that you that you feel that brands should track and relay that back to them and sort of optimize based on them? Or is that something that you've either come up with on your own in like an Excel sheet? Um, like, I'm just curious how you, how you measure this because of what we were talking about earlier, right? Your attribution is really hard, uh, just yeah. in general across all the 20 apps and, and platforms that our, that our clients are using. So how do you think about and measure that? It's not an easy answer. Um, uh, for us personally, what we, you know, kind of use is there's a lot of these, and I'm sure you guys have seen it, but like, you know, business intelligence, like BI tools, data mm -hmm. tools, um, uh, you know, Google Analytics and everything else. So there's, you know, the North Beams of the world, Dacities, Triple Whale, um, that I think are solving, you know, kind of aspects of it that are doing a really good job. Um, I am a advisor and investor in a company called Brightflow that does a little bit more of like predictive cash flow analytics. And then they have like cash that they can tap into across like channels and marketplaces, which is nice. So there's like a, a, a plug there. But it, again, you kind of have to pull it all together. The source of truth for us still is um, Google Analytics, um, but you have to like really understand it um, for the platform. One, and this is what we see, unfortunately, that's why we recommend Elevar a lot of times is um, they don't even have it set up properly. So they might, Facebook is telling them one thing, Shopify is telling them another, and GA is like, whoa, 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 like, no, both of these aren't actually, you know, kind of accurate. So we, we make sure that the inputs are right. They're tracking the right conversions and the right goals. And then we do every recommendation that we make, it, it, it is about 40 different um, um, kind of like metrics that help support the overall goal. Clients come to us and say, how do we increase our customer lifetime value? Or, you know, in the case of Mudwater, how do we decrease churn? Um, or how do we decrease cost, cost of acquisition? 
So we have those like overarching goals, but then we feel like there's yeah, 30 to 40, you know, kind of indicators that are going to help build that, you know, story and, 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 and really work. But ultimately it's a little bit of a Excel sheet, Google analytics. Um, cause right. there's not one tool that does everything, unfortunately for, for us. Right. Yeah. I'm always curious to hear how, um, people like yourself thinking about that measurement. Um, I actually saw a, a very quick demo of Dacity this week because I yeah. connected with their partnerships leader in um, Toronto for Unite. And so we had a follow-up call and yeah. I was blown away, honestly, by how much data that they're collecting and the insights they're able to um, to collect. I I haven't, uh, I talked to Triple Whale early on in my tenure here um, there, I, I didn't get as in the weeds in terms of what they, uh, of ter in terms of what their solution is. I'm sure that it's similar in terms of use case, um, but, and it's not something that's like a, a super uh, obvious partnership. So we'll see where yeah. it goes in terms of that, but either way, it was really, really cool to see. Um, yeah. Northbeam's doing some stuff. I think they're mostly focused on like paid and I think they keep adding features to focus on a little bit more like holistically because of the attribution issues and, you know, kind of everything else. And yeah, we've onboarded a few different brands on Audacity and been really uh, happy with them. So um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's hard. There's unfortunately, maybe there'll be like mergers or, you know, kind of, uh, you know, things of that nature. But right now, yeah, I mean, some brands we have have like four or five data tools. Um, and so even I'm like, who's using this? Right. Like, actually <laughs> leveraging this data. And then they're building everything in Tableau or Looker. It's, it's, it's a lot just to, you know, kind of make heads or tails of what's actually going on. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Cool. So let's uh, let's get into the the rebrand a little bit. PC yeah. now Fireside. Yeah. Um, tell us the thought process behind that. What sparked the the um, idea to rebrand, and um, what changes, if any, there will be from a, a tactical uh, and go to market standpoint um, uh, for your clients and for your business. Yeah. So I mean, the original name was. Uh, you know, what does PCR stand for? It was promote, convert, retain. It was like our strategy around like digital. And so we promote your business, we convert them and retain them. We then shifted it because we didn't do the promote anymore um, with the evolution of the business and got uh, got um, a little creative in terms of using uh, our like formula where it was like profit equals conversion plus retention. So we think the best way to impact bottom line, you know, it was a little stretch, but we, we made it work. And... <laughs> And, 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 and luckily, I have a friend who's like a brilliant brand strategist. He's worked with Anheuser-Busch to, uh, um, you know, Nike, like all these big brands um, when he was at Anomaly. And he's like, I, I just, he's like, I feel a disconnect. Like you don't live and breathe, you know, PCR and everything else. And I was like, you're right. Um, and he's like, well, let me help you. And I'm like, well, I, I can't afford to pay what you probably normally charge all these <laughs> Fortune 50, and he's like, I'll do it for you for, for free. I was like, that sounds great. So he went through, um, you know, this exercise uh, to dive deep and understand like who we are, what we do, our values. And, you know, I, he started with this idea around, I just feel this like hospitality element to what you guys do and how a brand kind of engages in a relationship with their customers. And like, yes, there's like all these hard, cold tools of like, you know, data and technology and everything else, but like 
you're really using all that to unlock like the warmth of a relationship that you know the customer has with the product, the customer has with the brand, what you have with your clients. I was like, exactly. Like that is so, you know, you know, true. And he's like, what about fireside? Like, you know, it's like it goes back hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, of like inviting strangers by the fire, telling stories, you know, kind of kind of connecting on a deeper level. And um couple of days went by and I didn't say anything. And then I swear to God, I just maybe went over my head and I'm like, I got it. Fireside. <laughs> like, are you serious? Like scroll up. Like oh on gosh. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Sorry. I'm not trying to take credit, but conscious <laughs> there. It's really pulling you. <laughs> Luckily he had a, a digital track uh, footprints of uh, what we actually said. Um, and so yeah, you know, uh, that, and so, you know, for us, it's not just changing the name. Um, uh, uh, I think it's a lot of it. It is our approach. Like we're not, we have clients come to us and say, we just need email campaigns and, you know, can you, and we're not that we're, our focus really is, um, either high growth digitally native brands, like a mud water that just, we have all this data, we have all this technology, we have all this, but we don't truly want to we don't understand the customer, you know, kind of relationship and how we can leverage that more fully to do all these amazing things. Um, to actually a lot of businesses that are like non-native to the space. So think, you know, uh, old retailers that are on like a, maybe a Salesforce commerce cloud that want to get into Shopify and everything else and, 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 or figure out D2C as a more important uh, part of their strategy to authors, to media publications. So we found like a really good niche where we build a strategic framework to, Leverage all these different things, the data, the tools, the the relationship, the communication uh, to enhance that overall, you know, kind of customer experience. And we feel like those are the things that brands need to stand for um, in order to weather a lot of what's going on right now and the, you know, macroeconomic climate and, and, and everything else. It's that's how you start to think about like building a moat for, you know, the business. So, yeah, launched last week. Um, wow. Think, Congrats. Yeah, stoked. And. Yeah, the last part I always kind of joke is now I don't have to say, you know, PCR, not the COVID test too. So that's you know, even <laughs> a, an added bonus um, <laughs> uh, as, as, as well. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a great exercise. And yeah, I'm just really thankful for, for my buddy, you know, kind of taking us through that. Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. so cool. Um, do you feel it's it kind of sounds like this was just like the natural evolution. Do you feel like your clients and, um, you know, perspective, perspective merchants that you're looking to work with should expect a different approach from here or is it very similar um uh to pre pre rebrand and uh more of just like like I said a natural evolution um I, I I think it's it's a little natural but it's it's very very intentional like I actually did the cliche like rented a cabin up in the woods in Blue Ridge and did like you know, uh, um, a vision board and like what I want and and what was happening a little bit. We like fully jumped into e-commerce, but then we were just like, a, 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 you know, just a couple people to do emails for them or, you know, optimize their website. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. I've done this for 15 years. I've never been motivated to like, I got to be making millions of dollars and do all this. Like I, what I really unlocked there was like partnership and like, you know, and, and I think, we used to do it where you want us for email or you want us for the web or you want like a project, all that went away. And now we really are their digital partner. And we look at these big goals or challenges they're faced with. And we build 
you know, we do an audit, we build a framework and a roadmap. I'm like, here's what we're going to do to be able to unlock that. That's not going to fit everybody. Some people just call us now and they're like, we need someone just to optimize our email flow. They're like, yeah, that's unfortunately not us. We need to look at the whole ecosystem because if we don't have access to like what customer service is doing or what the website's doing and just looking at things in like isolation, um, I don't feel like we can do right by the client. And, and it allows us to, I think, you know, my team is just, they're, they're such like badasses that I feel like it's doing us a disservice to kind of like come in and do checklist work. Like my head of strategy was leading the e-commerce strategy for Victoria's Secret for a decade. You know, she's unbelievable. Wow. We have a, a, you know, a retention manager that was, you know, managing 2 million contacts in a database and building like crazy flows across app, push, email, SMS. And so we want to tackle tough problems. We want to tackle, you know, kind of complexity. So all that intentions come out. And I swear it's like never really believed in the secret or law of attraction, but we've been so busy. Um, like we're, you know, we've, we've, we're only nine people, but we've onboarded like big accounts, really tough problems. Um, and it just, it's humming. It, it's feeling really good. So I think to your, to your original question, you know, yes, a little organic, but I think we put a line in the sand. I was like, what do I care about? What do I want to build as a team? And, and, and I think we're, we're, we're starting to do that. And, and, and Fireside just acted as a, as a catalyst to, you know, kind of even further enhance it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Real quick, Drew, how long did that, I'm just curious, how long did that like rebranding process take? Well, I, it, it there's been, <laughs> Um, as an entrepreneur, it's, you know, everyone says your greatest strength is your greatest weakness. Like I'm never short of ideas. So, um, (laughs) I've, I've, uh, and and I'm actually notoriously very bad at naming my, my, you'll laugh at this 15 years ago, my original business name, which is still my legal entity in Florida is internet success incorporated. That's, uh, you know, we will make you successful on the internet. Um, So I, I did that to PCR and I was just never really like, you know, PCR worked for a little while. I started a separate consultancy at one point and there's a whole nother, I started an animal uh, pet, like CBD company with some like raised money, bought a bunch of stuff. And I had another company called OpenS where I was doing consulting and then I had the agency. So to say it's been in the works for a while, it's been in the works for a while. Um, I think it's nice to have it. Um, ladder up to the core focus. I have a business coach and I think the majority of what he does now is tells me, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Just tells me I can't essentially do anything but focus on growing this business, (laughs) which is really smart. Um, So yeah, you know, I'd say like, gosh, probably five, six years with left and right turns and curveballs, you know, kind of, you know, thrown in the mix. Mm -hmm. Cool. I feel like it's, that's it. It's a great, uh, great idea to have a business coach, I think. <laughs> like, that, like just, just if nothing else, then to tell you to like, stay focused on the things that matter. Cause I feel, I feel that so much that there's so much opportunity. It's really yeah. hard, especially in our space, like 5,000 apps, like that's yeah. 5,000 potential partners for us, <laughs> maybe a hundred competitors at this point. Like, you know what I mean? so it's really hard sometimes to stay focused and I think that's a great, great lesson as well. Um, I I reread uh, Peter Thiel's book, Zero to One, um, uh, you know, like all the time when he was at PayPal, he's notorious for like people would come in uh, that he was managing 
and he would give them like one thing to work on, uh, you know, the one thing, and then they would come in and they'd have a problem. He's like, so how does this help support you tackling this, the the thing I gave him? He's like, well, it doesn't. He's like, well, I'm not going to talk to you. Like, you know, come to me when you actually have it. So that's like very helpful. But yeah, the coach um, has been incredible just to be able to have that. And I, I'm fortunate I have employees. I mean, we've been on it for 15 years. It's like, is digital my thing? I'm always like, oh, I got all these shiny objects and everything else. And two of my employees have been with me for a decade plus are like, Drew, just please, please, please just focus on this. There's a yeah. big opportunity. And I've done that over the last couple of years and it's paid off. You know, we've um, we've grown pretty substantially. And um, and again, not in headcount. I, I could care less. It's it's more in terms of like overall growth, employee growth uh, in, in terms of the team and the development, mm-hmm. um, you know, profitability, other things like that. That just mean a little bit more to me than you know, stroking my ego for, you know, how many people we have and stuff like that. Now that's great to hear. Um, and I, I am shocked to hear that you have, are doing all of this with nine employees, but I think, <laughs> yeah. I think to your point, it's like, that just means more growth for them as individuals, um, yep. rather than for the owner of the agency, what, you know, who's just striving to say he's got a hundred employees. So, yeah. And, 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 and I love it. I mean, the thing I'm most proud of is, is true. And everyone always points at like culture and everything else, but like we have an employee that's 22 years old. She's already gotten three promotions in a year because she's just a badass and she's growing and she's developing and there's no like just, Oh, okay. One year later you get your 3% raise. I'm like, you deserve it. Like you are showing that. And I mean, I was shocked. She was 22. She joined us when she was 21, but it doesn't matter. Like she's doing the work and being able to develop that. And we do a bunch of things, but like that a smaller company wouldn't like we give round trip flights anywhere in the world on Christmas for, you know, people that have been with us uh, even less than a year. And we do health insurance and we do the whoops and we do all this other stuff. So I like want to keep reinvesting in the team. And, and, and again, yeah, I, I, I tell everybody in the interview process, like you don't need to get three people under you to get this next, you know, kind of promotion, whatever. I'd rather give it to you uh, versus giving it to you know a new person coming in. So we're very intentional with like the team size and and and, and things like that, um, so that we can do more with with less. So very cool, very cool. Um, okay, just a couple minutes left. Uh, we we'd be remiss to have the retention chronicles podcast <laughs> talk about retention. So, yep. <laughs> uh, and I know you've you've mentioned it a couple times, but let's. Um, Let's double click for a second here. Um, tell us what retention means to you uh, in the in the new uh, format of the agency, a new approach, and what the most important drivers of it. Um, and if you want to sort of take the lens of you know what you feel is an area that brands regularly neglect or miss out on when it comes to retention, I think that's sort of a good good way to frame it. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, it, 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 it's the catalyst and we've done it for so long. And for me, I was always like a lot of people try and, you know, kind of um, uh, play down like email and everything else. I'm like, it, it still drives 30, 50 percent of your total revenue in a lot of cases. And I think it's easier to focus on the sexy, which are like the influencers or the content or the social media. And so retention, you know, what we really think about, I think a lot of people get lost in you know, clicks and opens and everything else. But you got to realize like there's a real person at the other end of this communication. And I think they're like, you know, it's the cliche. There's a New York, New Yorker cartoon um, where it's like everyone around in a boardroom. They're like, you're telling us every time we send an email, we make revenue. Let's send an email every hour. Like, this is great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, I think for us, like 
we want to humanize that experience as much as possible. And I think that just gets lost. And, and, and I think it's easy to focus on, yeah, all these other things that are external, but like, if you don't have your house in order, it does not matter, you know, how effective your paid ads are on, on Facebook or how shitty your, uh, I don't know if we can cuss, but sorry, your, your, your product experiences, um, it, it, you're just going to keep chasing, you know, kind of your tail a little bit. And I think that's what's unfortunately happened. We've had brands we've worked with that thought they were going to get that next round of funding for growth and it disappeared. And so retention to me means that the warmth of that, you know, the, the customer relationship and, and, and building that foundation from the product to your website, to your communication, um, all those things are what is going to be that vote of confidence that the, the consumer has with your, your brand. And so that's like the 10,000 foot view, at least from like our approach. And we really try and we do the qualitative research, um, you know, the survey, Mudwater does it, another, you know, give them a plug, like they do an incredible job of like, why did you cancel? What is wrong with the, you know, kind of product? And they do surveys on a regular basis just to check in, you know, to, to see. And, and, and Shane is very, the founder, very passionate about that, um, which is so cool to see in this day and age. And I think that's why they've, they've grown so much. Um, so, you know, I think what we see happen is they're just like, okay, check a box or two email campaigns this week. Did we send out an SMS? Uh, did we do, you know, whatever it may be. And they just don't map out the journey of the actual customer and understand the friction. Like, you know, have, you, have they talked to customer service? Have they answered support tickets to see what's going on? Have they tried to check out and, and make a purchase on the product and realize how hard it is? Like, have they gotten the product delivered? I just purchased um, from a clothing brand purchased two weeks ago. They have not confirmed my email. They have not told me that my order is on the way or when an estimated shipment. I'm like, how are you doing that, this in this day? <laughs> you know, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So yeah, I think there's a lot. Um, obviously I could talk for days about it, but um, I think just getting back to like, who who are your customers and what are their challenges and how are you helping them solve that? And how do you make sure that you reduce that friction as much as possible to, you know, that surprise and delight, all those things that you kind of hear in the conference you go to, but I just don't think brands are practicing it as a, as a fundamental, you know, kind of use case for, for, for their business. Right. Yeah, no, I think you hit on a lot of the things that are always top of mind for us. Um, some new stuff as well. Do you, with all of the, you know, fundamental shifts in the, in the market, uh, in our, in our specific market, but the broader like world economy as well with privacy changes and, um, uh, you know, GDPR, iOS updates, uh, yeah. inflation, all of these factors that go into rising CAC. Do you feel that they're, and, and also affecting retention, of course, as well, especially with the increased competition and new brands popping up every day, because um, it's easier for that to happen now than ever before. Um, do brands need to adjust their retention strategy at all for the future? I think a hundred percent. I mean, I think again, the day and age of like acquiring customers on the cheap on Facebook and everything else, it's just gone. And I think if you ever want to look at a playbook and just go through their website experience, I was fortunate to like meet these guys and like hear them speak. Um, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but my obvi, it's a, um, a collagen brand and uh, you know, it, it, they sell to women and they're two guys and they, they don't hide behind it or try and do whatever like they own it. They had this like private Facebook group of tens of thousands of people 
they do, they have ambassadors where you can get free product for life. Um, uh, they, anytime they're launching a new product, they say, Hey, are there, you know, flavors or things and they pull their audience first. Um, and you go through the checkout, everything is like customer obsessed. I've never seen two guys that care more about their customer and meeting them, but like, it's a, it's, they do it because they know it's fundamental to the business. Like giving the free product is like, if they're doing referrals and all this other stuff, like that's worth its weight in gold. And I, I just really resonate with that as like a tactic where they still spend the money on TikTok and Facebook and everything else. But like, they know their core customer because the customer's telling them and they're actually having conversations. They do live Q and A's, I think once a week. And you can just like anybody on their Facebook group can like chime in and like, what's going on? Da, 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 da. And they just, you know, so I think, it, it makes acquisition easier if you have the funnel and the retention engine really, really, really humming. Cause then, yeah. you know, you can put people in that funnel and then you can convert them, but they're going to stay to your point. You know, it's very difficult to be profitable in that first purchase um, and to get the second and the third and everything else. You, you just have to have those, um, those fundamentals, I think in place. Otherwise you're going to be, you know, kind of dead in the water. Yeah. We, we recently on a podcast talked about, uh, retention as an acquisition channel. And I think that's exactly what you're getting on. Like, and I heard, uh, basically in, in synopsis, I heard community basically, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is something, you know, not only do we, uh, love to see our brands do, it's something that we're talking about doing at Malomo as well as, is, is building a more intentional community around our offering and reta the retention space as a whole in e-commerce. So, um, a lot of similar thoughts there. Couldn't agree more. Um, okay. We're at time. Uh, normally we don't go the full hour, but I knew we would spend a good amount of time up top after that was your good personal news. Um, <laughs> real quick close out, Drew, uh, and thanks so much for all these awesome insights. Uh, you've obviously had an amazing career so far. You've got a team that you're, um, obviously super proud of and doing big things. What, uh, what do you sort of one or two things that you attribute the success to this point too, any advice that you would give for, for people, whether it's in the space or just starting out in their careers or wanting to up-level their careers, um, that's helped you get to where you're at today? Yeah. I mean, I, I think at the, the most fundamental, like foundational level, it's people and it's, it's going to sound like the cliche, you know, kind of talking point, but like what, when I, you know, took that step back, looked at Fireside, all this other stuff, it truly was like, the relationships and it's the um and, and the people that we work with you know i had the fortune you know of running this company where it's like i can choose who we hire i can choose who we work with as clients and i think if they're being disrespectful you know to my staff like that's just there's no money you know worth it i i went through that you know the christmas eve story and getting yelled at i'm like i'm fortunate now to be a little bit more like matured and progressed but like i would go back and sacrifice that additional you know kind of client or whatever the money is to be able to do that and i think what we have built is and it's so amazing when you get all the right people on the bus and you're moving in the right direction where it's it's the team and it's this ecosystem it's it's our existing team and that's where it starts you know kind of first and foremost and that's hardworking for sure, but like compassion, empathetic. And uh, we just hired someone, you know, a couple of weeks ago and she's like, I was on Zooms where like, you know, in my previous company where, you know, it was just dead silence. No one talked, no one cared. She's like, you guys talked for like 10 minutes before you even like talk business. Like you really do like, like each other and like working with you. And I don't think that has to be a prerequisite, but like, 
for me, I'm like, I want to work with people that I enjoy, you know, I've learned stuff from and that are, you know, kind of caring. And then I think the next layer out is the clients and, and who you, you know, are they appreciating, you know, the work that we're doing and, 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 and the value. I mean, we, we don't want them just to like us for liking them. We want to deliver on the results, but you know, that mutual respect. And then I think it's, it's, it's guys like you and, 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 you know, the team and people where it's even the vendors and it's the ecosystem that could be freelancers to, you know um, you know, the apps, like we, the last thing we want to do is have a great relationship with the staff on our team and the client. And then we introduce them to a partner and they're disrespectful or they're, you know, these different things. So I think, I don't know, it's, it's, it's definitely a long winded, but like for me, um, the people fuel everything. Um, and, and, and I'm very, very constant, you know, conscientious of that, you know, with, with the team. And I think that has made us, you know, successful because of that coming through and every, you know, touch point communication, you know, we do a bunch of stuff. We don't have like nickel and dime if things are out of scope it's like we want you know a deep relationship with our and and that's what i even train my team and account managers of like build rapport i mean and because i did it 15 years ago because i was a absolutely terrible account manager because my results were so bad but like i was so i was so good at rapport and building friendships and like everything else they're like drew and they tell me all the time, they're like, I don't really know why we're paying you to do what you do because the results aren't good. We just really like you and we know you're going to fix it and make it right. So, you know, it's all those little things that I think, you know, kind of come up um, uh, to have that, you know, kind of compassion within the team and, and, and things like that too. And and the last would just be like the focus. Like I think Naval Ravikant, you know, the famed kind of like angel investor and, you know, self, you know, he's like a little bit of a philosopher around business and other things. He's like, it takes 10 years to build a career and in, in anything and this day and age it's like you know millennials and younger it's like oh my god i haven't gotten this promotion or i'm not making a million dollars and i'm you know, like you're 24 years old just like right like you know takes a little bit of time to do these you know where our grandparents or grandparents are like slogging away for 30 40 years in a, in a in a career um so i think having that patience and looking at you know the the long term of like what you're trying to accomplish and give yourself a little bit of grace there so. Yeah, absolutely. Love both of those. One of my closest advisors just told me like two weeks ago, never forget like the most underrated thing in your career that you can practice is patience. Yeah. And it sticks with, like, I'm so bad about it to your point. <laughs> uh, it was a great reminder. And this is another good one. Uh, and then your point about people, uh, it's why we like, it's literally why we start the podcast with personal yeah. This is why we end it with things that you you would recommend to others in terms of growing their career, because all of the stuff in the middle is, is um, it doesn't happen without those two things. We, yeah. you know, we think so. Um, thanks for sharing that, Drew. Really yeah. appreciate having you on. Thanks for going over with us. And uh, I know that we'll, we'll be in touch soon. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks, Drew. Yeah. Thank you.